One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Counseling on the Force Center podcast feed, the show that believes absolutely every single part of Star Wars is great from a certain point of view. I am your host. My name is Joseph Scrimshaw. As always, we are recording live to tape. That means that you will get some delicious ums, maybe some ahs. You will definitely hear me sip from my whiskey, maybe a little bit like this. Okay, I admit, I made that extra loud. That was theatrical whiskey drinking for your entertainment. 
And speaking of entertainment, if you like Star Wars, if you like humor, I was a guest on Screen Junkies and Jenny Nicholson's great Star Wars show, Millennial Falcon. It is all about Star Wars theories, weird opinions about what the Force is, what it means. Also, I pretend to be a Rathtar Jedi. So you can go find that on Screen Junkies News. I've also posted that on the Force Center Facebook and Twitter feed. So please do go check that out and support Jenny. She is hilarious and charming, and I wish Millennial Falcon nothing but tons of success. And with that, let's get into the meat of the show. And strangely, this show does involve actual meat. Our first grievance does literally involve meat. Star Wars meat. Yum. Anyway, as always, on the show, we address two grievances. You get to decide which grievance is the master and which is the apprentice. We are beginning with a grievance about one of my favorite creatures in all of Star Wars, Wampas. This was sent in by Adam Siri on Facebook. As always, Force Center is an endless opportunity for me to say your name incorrectly. Adam Siri, Adam Siari. Anyway, I'm sure you will start learning, dear listeners, to send in your names phonetically if you want them said correctly. Anyway, no disrespect to you, Adam. This is a great question, and I can't wait to share it. So here we go. Here is what Adam has to say. I can't find many issues with Empire Strikes Back, but here is one. At the very beginning, Luke and Han have a discussion over Comlink, and I quote, Luke, I don't pick up any life readings. Han, there isn't enough life on this ice cube to fill a space cruiser. Then immediately, Luke is attacked by the Wampa. Not only is the Wampa a giant life form that the sensors should pick up, but I'm guessing that the Wampa would be near the top of the food chain on Hoth, which would mean there would need to be many smaller creatures for the Wampa to eat, to stay alive, and get to this huge size. That is a big adult-sized Wampa, isn't it? Adam concludes by saying, please explain how the Wampa survives if there is no life on Hoth. This is a great question, and Adam, I appreciate that you went to Empire Strikes Back, the movie that I feel many Star Wars fans feel like, even if it's not their favorite, even if it's not the movie they watch the most, it is kind of uh, critically acclaimed. It is the best, the most uh, well-made Star Wars film, so I'm glad that you dug into it to find this obvious problem, and it is an obvious problem that needs some addressing, so let's address it. I have... Several thoughts, as always. Uh, I have some thoughts and some research. Here is what my research led me to discover. Not only are wampas indigenous to Hoth, so are Tauntauns. It's not like the Rebel Alliance got the Tauntauns somewhere else and brought them to Hoth. No, Tauntauns are indeed snow lizards. God, I love saying that. Snow lizards that are indigenous to Hoth. So maybe Han and Luke did not sense any life forms because the main life form that Wampas eat are Tauntauns, and the Rebel Alliance had gathered them all up, taken them out of their natural environment, put them in a sort of free-range fun room in Echo Base, and taught them to be ridden? Also, it makes me think that the Tauntauns have some place that they hide or some technique they use to deal with the cold, since Han's Tauntaun appears to die from the cold. But I'm not opening up another sub-grievance within this grievance. Tauntauns are indigenous to Hoth, so I suspect that that is a thing that the Wampas could eat to get so big and strong and be big adult Wampas. Now, in regards to the actual life form sensing, I agree absolutely 
Maybe if Han didn't pick up any life forms, there are no Tauntauns around, there are no Wampas around, fine. But Luke certainly should have picked up that giant life form right behind him. But here's the thing. Maybe the Wampas are just that stealthy. Maybe the Wampa was standing so close to Luke and his Tauntaun that on Luke's scanner, he picked up life forms, but it was just like a big blur. It didn't count them. It wasn't like Luke looked down and said, oh, there's me, there's my Tauntaun, Gary, and uh, oh God, there's some other huge thing. Maybe it's just one light big blur flashing on his screen. Now, I like this idea that the Wampas are stealthy. We know that they are at least intelligent enough to work together. Uh, Many Star Wars fans know about the abandoned plot point of the Wampas organizing to attack Echo Base. Uh, It is still in some places in Star Wars lore that individual uh, Wampas were sneaking into Echo Base and trying to drag people off to eat them. Uh, I believe there are certainly deleted scenes that still support this, and I believe that the Wampa attack on Echo Base is in the comic book adaptation. So it is floating there right in the, uh, the, the sweet spot of canon, not canon. I guess it's not a sweet spot. It's a frustrating spot. Anyway, there's enough out there to suggest that uh, Wampas are intelligent enough to work together, and maybe if they're sneaky enough to actually sneak into Echo Base and steal people, they are stealthy enough to sneak right up behind Luke. Regardless, we know that there isn't just one Wampa. We're used to calling it the Wampa, because it's the one that we know and love and have a relationship with. But there are at least two Wampas for sure, because the Trandosians have a Wampa head as a trophy in an episode of The Clone Wars. In fact, multiple episodes of The Clone Wars. So we we know that there are multiple Wampas on Hoth. We also know that they ate Tauntauns. We see them do it right there in the film and everything. So right there, we have a little bit of a Hoth ecosystem of life forms. We have Wampas, we have Tauntauns. I personally want to believe that there are other life forms on Hoth, that there are some strange little, uh, like, snow worms that wiggle around underneath the surface of the icy tundra. Maybe there's a Borglet that somebody dropped there. That would be great. I'd like to believe that there's plenty of other life forms that, for some reason, Han and Luke did not pick up. We'll get back to why that might be. This still does leave us with Adam's essential question of how do the Wampas survive? How do they thrive when there's not that much to eat? They've got the Tauntauns for sure, and just my random conjecture of snowworms. Well, we know at least one other time they had a great meal, and that was sadly after the Battle of Hoth. That is a lot of dead rebels. I think some definitely some dead snow troopers. There's a lot of corpses for the Wampas to eat for a long time. They could have their pick. This is like going to old country buffet. Is that restaurant even exist in America anymore? I don't know. Anyway, the point is they had all sorts of choices of which kind of people they wanted to eat. This also makes me think that maybe people did visit or crash on Hoth other humans or humanoid species often enough that that could keep the Wampas going because we do see that the Wampas initial choice when finding Luke is not, Hey, got a Tauntaun, got Luke, man, I'm going to binge. I'm going to go back to my cave and I'm going to party like a sad bachelor with three frozen pizzas. No, the Wampa says to itself, you know what? I'm going to save one for later, which suggests that they have experience in saving humans for later. 
We know the Wampa grabs Luke, turns him upside down, and sticks his feet into the cave ceiling, which then becomes frozen ice, and he's stuck hanging upside down, which opens up yet another sub-grievance. How did Luke get his feet stuck in the ice? Personally, my headcanon, either Wampas have heat breath, and he thawed the ceiling, then stuck Luke's feet in it, or, going super weird, it's exotic space ice that can only freeze if there are feet in it. Who knows? So that's plenty of thoughts on the ecosystem of Hoth and Wampa's dining choices. The big question I think, Adam, is correct to ask is, why did their sensors not detect any life forms? And I think sometimes the simplest answer is the best answer. It is because it's effing cold. I think the cold made a lot of the Rebels' equipment not work. I am from Minnesota. I lived much of my life in Minnesota where it gets very, very cold. It is both cold and windy, the temperatures are low, and there can be a lot of snow, and it feels like the world is attacking you, like the world does not want you to exist. In the case of Hoth, it is literally a whole world that is saying, you shouldn't be here. In my personal life, here are just some of the things that have stopped working in the cold and snow when I lived in Minnesota. My car, my phone, parking meters, doors, windows, my zipper on my pants, relationships, and my soul. Cold will mess you up. Cold and snow together will super mess you up. So I think that it's just a matter of they thought that they were getting accurate life sensor and readings from their devices, but they were not. So that's my main Star Wars counseling, Adam, for how you can feel better about this strange part of Empire Strikes Back is that these sensors just weren't working because of the cold. It looked like they were working, but they weren't actually working. That's what happened to some of my dating relationships when it was really cold outside. Now, I think there is also a moral in this story for anyone who exists in the Star Wars galaxy is that if you're on a very cold planet, maybe if you're on a very hot and muggy planet, any planet that you think will mess with the sensor readings on your life-sensing device, here's what you should use. The smell test. Because Luke says, just moments later, Hey, steady girl. Hey, what's the matter? You smell something? And the Tauntaun certainly does. The moral is, if you're checking for life forms, use a smell detector. Thank you, Adam, for sending in that great and very fun question that made me think about the Wampa's diet in details that I never thought I would. And now I get myself a little whiskey treat. And on we go to a slightly heavier grievance. Grievance number two is, why did Yoda give up? This was sent to us on our Force Center Facebook page from Nate Brenner. Thanks, Nate, for this great question. This is what Nate has to say. This Star Wars grievance drives me absolutely bonkers. In Revenge of the Sith, during the battle between Yoda and Darth Sidious, Yoda is unable to hold onto the ledge of one of the platforms and falls to the bottom of the Senate room floor. Then, rather than pick himself back up and get into the fight, he runs. Why would Yoda choose to run when the fight was so competitive? He didn't seem too injured, and the fight seemed so far from over. Obi-Wan fell just as far in his fight against Darth Maul and Naboo and was able to pick himself up and get back into the fight. This seemed like a very anticlimactic end to a very important fight in the Star Wars universe. Please help. Nate, 
I will try. I will try to help. I have so many thoughts. Here we go. Now, first off, with the comparison between the Obi-Wan and Maul fight and the Yoda and Sidious fight, I see what you're saying. Uh, uh, Obi-Wan does fall a great distance from one of the platforms in the Naboo generator room, and then he does just do a nice giant force leap right back up. So I understand the physical situations were similar, but Obi-Wan was younger. He was more spry. He wasn't as beat up as Yoda. We'll get into that a little bit. He was more eager to fight, and also, I'm going to say, not as much was at stake. Obi-Wan is relatively young, and I, he almost has a, uh, an energy to his fight, like he is intrigued. Like I don't think he's tipping into the dark side, but he's, hey, this is my purpose. I am a young Padawan. I'm not even a Jedi yet, and I am the first to face a Sith in years, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to get into that fight, and I'm going to keep going. He's young. He has a youthful perspective. Yoda, at this point, is fighting for everything. The fate of the galaxy, the fate of the Jedi, almost the fate of his own little green soul. I don't know if his soul is green, but it was fun to say. In theory, of course, this should make Yoda more motivated, but here's the thing. This is my main answer to this question. And yet, I'm still going to have more things to say after I say my main answer, which is my way. In the novelization of Revenge of the Sith, which, as we now know, the books are canon until they're not. Uh, so this is, again, in this strange nebulous area of it's kind of canon, unless somebody comes along and says, no, that is not canon. Anyway, in the book... Yoda realizes that he and Sidious have fought to a standstill and that he can never match Sidious's enjoyment of the fight, even if technically Yoda could constantly go toe-to-toe with him for hours. Yoda is suddenly struck by the horror of this truth that hate and conflict is what gives Sidious his power. He is loving this fight. This is the best thing that has happened to him in years. And for Yoda, fighting is an unfortunate necessity. He does not derive joy from it. Now, I read this book uh, once back in 2005, and I have thought about this a lot. And I believe this is also in the book. It could also just be my memory at this point. I might have read something in a book, and then it had converted into headcanon in my own little head. But it's sort of the moment where Yoda has the epiphany, this moment where he realizes there's no point in me continuing to fight Sidious. It's also the moment where he has the true, deep epiphany that the Jedi Order had become stagnant and dogmatic, that the Sith had adapted, they had created their rule of two, and they had approached this combat in a different way. And Yoda and the Jedi Order had not changed. They had just insisted on doing things the traditional way. And because of that, they were crusty and old, and Yoda honestly didn't know how to defeat this threat. So going along with those ideas, there's that great-to-me line, I really like it, when Bail Organa picks Yoda up in the speeder, and Yoda, his cloak is gone, he basically looks like Romper Room Yoda, sad and defeated, literally ripped of his Jedi cloak, lightsaber gone, he deflates and says, failed I have. And I think he means not just, I didn't kick Sidious's ass. I tried to cut his head off, and I didn't do it. I think he means that he has failed in a much larger sense. That's my big picture answer, a lot of it depending on the novelization of Revenge of the Sith. So let's dig down a little bit more. Now, there is just the discussion of whether or not Yoda could have kept physically 
fighting. There's that shot of his little Yoda claws digging into that Senate pod, trying to hold on. And to me, that's a very good visual metaphor of Yoda trying to hold on spiritually. It could have been told more clearly or better in some way, but for me, it works. It is a shot of desperation, of clinging, and he's trying to hold on, and he can't. To me, that shot is almost like if he could have dug his little Yoda claws in and gotten purchase on that Senate pod and got one foot back under him, he would have been back in that fight, but he couldn't. He failed. Now, Nate, just to be clear, I'm not disagreeing with the premise of your grievance. I think when you watch this scene in Revenge of the Sith, it does seem like Yoda is holding his own. It does seem like, hey, man, little man, little green man, get up, keep fighting. But I think that's partially because we're so used to seeing that story from heroes. They take a pounding, they get up, and they keep fighting. We see that a lot with uh, Indiana Jones. We see that with uh, Captain Kirk. There's the, the great line in both the first and third Captain America movie where he says, I could do this all day after getting his ass handed to him. I think Yoda's version of this quote is, Do this all day. I cannot. Damn. Seriously, let's review what has happened to Yoda that day. Almost all of the Jedi were wiped out. The order that Yoda has run, almost all of its members have been slaughtered on his watch. He had to cut off two clone troopers' heads. He doesn't like murder. Then he had to say goodbye to Chewbacca, who he apparently had really good relations with. You know what I mean. Then he had to slaughter even more clone troopers to fight his way back into Coruscant. Then he discovers that it was Anakin who helped the Emperor slaughter the Jedi. You know, the Chosen One. The one Yoda said no to training, then changed his mind. The one who is uh, the subject of a mysterious prophecy that even Yoda didn't quite understand. Then, who did Yoda send to kill Anakin? Anakin's brother and father figure, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, who is possibly being sent off to his death. And Yoda talks a big game about attachment, but he doesn't want Obi-Wan to die. He doesn't want Anakin to have turned against him. So there is a lot going on for Yoda emotionally at this point. That is all before he even starts the fight with Sidious. Then he gets fried with Sith lightning, flies around lightsaber dueling, has to jump around, has to catch Senate pods and throw them around with the Force. He loses his lightsaber, then attempts to absorb a massive amount of Force energy. It explodes. He goes flying, falling, bouncing off things. And he's over 800 years old. Now, yes, at this point, he could, as hard as it might be, get up and keep fighting. But then he sees something. He sees his cloak, his Jedi robes, which have been ripped off of him. They waft down, and they catch on an exposed beam on a shattered part of the Senate chamber. Now I think he sees this, and he thinks, Ha, ah, maybe my cloak hanging there will create even the tiniest, flimsiest illusion that I am destroyed. And he reflects on his visions. The visions and the journey he went on in the final arc of Clone Wars Season 5. In that arc, Yoda learns to commune with the spirit of Qui-Gon. He sees visions of this very possible fate of the Jedi Order collapsing, and he is assured that his destiny is to live on and guide others who could bring balance to the Force 
by ending the Sith. Those words are literally spoken to him, that that is perhaps his fate. So I think in this moment where he is saying, I am bruised, I am battered, I could get up and I could keep fighting, or maybe this massive journey I went on to discover my fate is coming true. Those visions, those predictions, they were all pointing to this. I can't win now, but maybe I can help the next generation. And so, instead of fighting, he goes into exile. So that, to me, is the reason Yoda doesn't get back up and fight. And I enjoy it, because there's even an element of almost Shakespearean tragedy. There's that moment where uh, the whole fate of the galaxy, in this case, hinges. Maybe Yoda could have pushed himself. Maybe if he physically got up and kept fighting, he could have driven a lightsaber that he found somehow because he dropped it. He could have driven that lightsaber right through Sidious's heart and ended the Empire right after it began. Maybe he could have done that. But maybe destiny and fate was telling him, no, it's not the right time. And as viewers, we can make our own decision. We'll never know what, what might happen. But it's fun to have those moments of, of pure tragedy, of what if. What if Yoda had gotten up? Would he have won? Or would he have just been slaughtered by Sidious and then he wouldn't have been there to help guide Luke? That's mostly just some counseling for, hey, enjoy that part of the movie. Also, here's some bonus counseling for an entirely different part of this because I can't stop myself from opening up sub-grievances this episode. Obi-Wan asked to be sent after Sidious instead of Anakin. And Yoda says, no, he's too powerful. So I always felt like, well you know what, why don't you guys team up, go take out Sidious together, and then together go fight Anakin. But then I remember, they don't know where Anakin was at that time, and Yoda thought Obi-Wan should trust his feelings, use his relationship and his knowledge of Anakin to find out where Anakin was and go deal with him. Also, Yoda's, you know, trying to be efficient of, there's two of them, there's two of us, let's go deal with this, that's nice and practical. But more importantly... Because Star Wars is not always really strong on the practical. More importantly, there's something elegant about Yoda and Obi-Wan each facing off against their own foe. Because for the Jedi, battles aren't just physical, they're spiritual. Jedi are taught to constantly face their fears and defeat them. For both Yoda and Obi-Wan, their opponents represented their greatest fears and their greatest failures. So in true Jedi fashion, they must follow their destiny and face them alone. Obi-Wan must face Anakin, and Yoda must face Sidious. Maybe it's not the smart, tactical way but it does seem like the Jedi way. Anyway, that is some Star Wars counseling for why Yoda just didn't get up and keep fighting. Because even if he wasn't totally defeated physically, which I think he was pretty banged up, he was still defeated spiritually and emotionally. And he decided the better choice at this point is to live on, not to fight another day, but to train another day. Also, again, he's over 800 years old. That stuff hurts. I don't know if you have ever fallen hundreds of feet onto a Senate pod. I haven't, thankfully, but I bet it hurts like a lot. Yoda pushes himself, but this stuff does hurt. There's that great shot in Attack of the Clones where after fighting Dooku, he uses the Force to summon back his cane, and then he walks like he is hurting so bad from spinning around. So yes, he can do it, but it hurts. Everybody hurts, even Yoda. 
especially at that age. Bottom line, Yoda is a complex, intuitive Jedi master who knew that he had failed and that the time for fighting was done. Also, he would have been able to sense all the life forms that clearly do live on Hoth. Yoda could sense the snow worms. Thank you, Nate, for that great Yoda versus Sidious question. Thank you, Adam, for that great, what do the wampas eat and why can't we sense them on our sensors? That's what sensors are for. It's right there in the title, sensing. Those are both great questions. If you, dear listeners, have any questions, any Star Wars grievances that bother you, feel free to send them in. I still have a great backlog of grievances, so I'm going to keep looking at them. But as new things occur to you, feel free to send them to us. And now, these can be logic flaws, but I also like it when you send in things that just bug you. They just eat at your soul for whatever reason. Force visions that you have late at night, and you wake up in a sweat like Anakin on Naboo in the lake country. If you wake up in a sweat like Anakin on Naboo in the lake country, let me know. You can send those uh, questions to us on Facebook or on Twitter with the hashtag SWCounseling. Now, we release this show every other Friday. There is much more to come. I've got a couple of live episodes of Star Wars Counseling booked for conventions this summer. I'm going to be at Convergence in Minneapolis where we're doing an episode of Star Wars Counseling at 11.30 on a Saturday night. And I'm going to be honest, I don't even know what to expect. It could get dark, weird, sexy, who knows? Lots of different things could happen. Also, I'm going to be at Dragon Con, and it is looking like we are indeed going to have an episode of Star Wars Counseling there as well. So there is much more to come. You can find me on all the social medias at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my anchor station, Headcanon, which is a fun little radio show about all things pop culture. That's on Anchor, as I said, and uh, that's an app that you can download. That's the best way to experience it, and my station is called Headcanon. Mr. Ken Knapsack is on there with his station, Daily Thrones, all about Game of Thrones. You can also check out my other podcast, Obsessed. You can find out information about all of those things and super simple direct links on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. You you can, of course, like Force Center on Facebook and follow us on Twitter is at Force Center Pod. You can support our new Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Force Center. We are currently building toward the goal of getting new theme music for all our shows. We also just recently launched our merch store. Our merch store is on TeePublic, so you can go to tpublic.com and just search for Force Center. You can also go to our Facebook page, and there is a Shop Now button on our Facebook page, and that leads us, leads you and me, sure. Yes, I use that too. It leads us to the TeePublic site. Until next time, as Han Solo once said in a moment of brutal honesty, I don't know how we're going to get out of this one, that's it for Star Wars Counseling.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.